Let's go, focus, breathe. Now pull the thing up. Go, 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 go. Up, you've got it, Rorden. You've got it. Stand, stand up. Very good. Hello, welcome to the program. This is Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast with Rawdon and Tom. Tom, you yep. every week, yes. Rawdon, how are you, mate? Look, mate, I'm uh, not too bad today. Yes, you seem reasonably chipper, as about as chipper as you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't suffer fools, Tom. No, one strike and you're out. One strike and you're out. That's if you're my client, one strike, bang, oh, you're out. Gone. Gone. We're recording out of the uh, Eagle Waves radio studios in yeah. Cafe Vivo in Sydney. and Very authentic. Now, Rawdon, I mean, you are my dear friend and mentor, and I, I love you very much. Yes. And uh, I feel the process of doing this podcast yes. has brought us closer together, both uh-huh. both as friends and professionally as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, there is test match cricket on the oh TV up there, and as much as I love this podcast, I'd quite yeah. happily go out and get a, one of Cam's chicken snitty sandwiches, yes, crack yes. a nice cold beer, and just sit and watch the cricket. Uh, yeah, no, I don't get that, Tom, but I, I'm not going to think any less of you just because you like cricket. But we will do the show, and it's a big show. Very. We have an important guest on the program today, Paul Carter from Lift Run Bang, yep. who uh, we have referenced in previous weeks. He's coming out here next year to do a powerlifting seminar with Ed Cohen. Yeah, all-round badass. Yes, a mean-looking dude. So we'll be talking to him about his spin on powerlifting and life. Philosophy and life. He's an interesting character, and um, you might learn a few things about his background and where yeah. it all started, his passion for writing and yeah. And things like that so we'll talk to him later in the program and we're doing something a little bit different today Rawdon and this is quite exciting for you Charles Poliquin aka Strength Sensei yep. has uh, his website strengthsensei.com yeah he's and got just over 80,000 likes at the moment so yeah. and apart from the articles and the content that Poliquin writes himself for uh, the website he does have a handful of select contributors yes. that write articles. In fact, Paul Carter has written at least one or two, I think, yeah. that get featured on the Strength Sensei website. Yes. And uh, you received an email. Mate, I, I don't know how I made the grade, but yeah. Of, uh, from Charles just saying, look, hello, mate, if there's anything you'd like to write about and yeah. you feel you can make a contribution to the website, feel free to send it through. And um, yeah, It was a group email to a, a few of us and um, yeah, I got included. So pretty, as someone obviously mentored me just quite significantly in over the last few years in particular so yeah very exciting for me so you wrote an article uh, my top three tips for earning an ifbb men's physique pro card yeah in this article essentially obviously we won't uh, give away too much so people well, they have to read it they've, they've got to log on and, and get the pleasure of uh, well you, you uh, read it this morning you said it was uh, you gave me the thumbs up you said wonderfully it was written piece of prose <laughs> They uh, might, our listeners might actually enjoy it. That's yeah. yes. But basically you reference the journey of James Kant. He's uh, an IFBB pro, the first in the physique category, uh, category yeah. in Australia. And there's a lot of things that go into, obviously, that process. But you identified the three major factors that contributed to his success in that chosen path. Yeah. Number one, genetics. Yep. Number two, focus and discipline. And then number three personality specific training programming yeah i mean they're the three that i think uh obviously lots of other factors and i talk about that but they're the three most significant uh, ones that i feel so what we thought we'd do on the show today 
is have three little segments, one on genetics, yes. and one on focus and discipline, and uh, one on programming based off a person's personality type. Yeah. We can reference what you did with James, but then sort of expand this out for the wider population because yeah. all of these are applicable for people yeah, who for want everyone, to achieve yeah. their various goals. Exactly, exactly. Some, uh, some good content in there. <laughs> Under the bar, Rudin and Tom. Now, There's uh, no score up there, mate. You can no, relax. I'll relax. That's okay. I think it might be a lunch break. Okay, genetics. The point that you made in the article is the everyday person with enough coaching and discipline and, and hard work you could probably get them up on stage mm. but there's no way in the world that someone's going to become a professional bodybuilder if they are not genetically gifted for the aesthetics that people are looking for 100 percent, and, and or a men's physique athlete so yeah that was my point i mean it's more i guess commonly spoken about with bodybuilding but i guess men's physique now is a is a division that um, that is the, the biggest growing division from what i've been told in, in the various federations men's physique it's much more appealing category than the harshness and, and very specific bodybuilding type uh, training and, and competing. You know, men's physique something that's you know perhaps at first glance more attainable for the average punter. But when yeah. you when you dig a bit deeper and you think about you know what these men's physique guys actually possess, then it, then you, you know the harsh reality is that well, I probably don't have what it takes to be a men's physique yeah. athlete either. You know yeah. no, I'm not going to be a pro bodybuilder. Yeah. I'm not going to be a pro physique athlete either. You know, a lot of people say with the bodybuilding, you know, yeah, well, if I took that amount of anabolics, you know, I I could be a pro bodybuilder too. Well, no, I I really don't think you can. There's very, you know, there's a very select, you know, on the planet, there's, you know, less than however many pro bodybuilders, a thousand pro bodybuilders. Like, I mean, there's not very many people that exist in this world that are actually... can actually do it. Yeah, be good enough to be pro bodybuilders. So, or, or men's physique or whatever. Now, mate, I will quote very briefly... From your article as to uh, uh, yes. the checklist of James's uh, aesthetics yeah. as you saw it. A full, well-formed set of pecs yep. framed by cannonball-like delts with anterior, medial and posterior heads popping out. Biceps and triceps thick and evenly proportioned with low bicep insertions and strong horseshoe-like triceps. A back as wide as a barn door with thick rhomboids and wide sweeping detailed lats tapering down to a 28-inch waist. Symmetrical abdominals with definition through the obliques around fully muscular midsection wrapped in paper thin skin boasting no excessive vascularity and finally good looks. Yes. I mean you can't do much better than that. Well, I'll have to pick you up on one thing mate there the uh, the fully muscular midsection wrapped in paper thin skin uh, I think in the industry that's referred to as cockskin. <laughs> well uh, affectionately termed cockskin by yourself and myself down at the CHPC you will hear that thrown around the uh, the term cockskin that's for sure. Yeah. But that's, you know, like, that's a perfect description of exactly what they're after as judges. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to say that, uh, you know, I also point out that, you know, whoever had their hands on James could probably uh, have got him a pro card as well. The guy is gifted for sure. But that wasn't to say he looked like that when I started. If you remember when James, yeah. back at yeah. uh, back when we were, Clean Health was running out of St. Leonard's Anytime Fitness out of there vastly different to what you see James as he stands today so you know lots of lots of hard work which I I talk about in the piece as well so mate let's focus now on the the general population and the role that genetics plays I guess one of the first things quite often people will come into clean health and they'll have a look at one of our transformation photos or pick Uh, uh, a snippet out of a magazine I want to look like that I want to look like that and you kind of have to have the conversation that we'll, we'll do our very best but 
genetics can only take us so far mm. w- with your shape and what's going on. And mm. I guess a couple of the, the fundamentals to think about, uh, the body type of a person, are they ectomorphic, endomorphic, or a mesomorph, or yeah. any cross between those Ooh, three? Oh, ectomeso. Oh, yes. Perfect. The blessed. The blessed. Let's, we'll start with an ectomorph. What are some of the challenges and characteristics of an ectomorph? I mean, well, the ectomorph, think of a sort of a leaner, more athletic-looking physique. For those individuals, usually a, a screaming metabolism, usually yeah. they burn on a, a higher carbohydrate intake. But for those guys, you know, I guess putting the muscle on is it's a challenge. It's always a challenge. Them, hard you know, gainers. Hard gainers, notoriously, yeah. yeah. But generally, yeah, I mean, harder for those guys to put the thickness on or the muscle mass on, but usually quite easy to get those guys very lean. One of the challenges is how much volume to give them in, in their training because they yeah. can tend to overtrain themselves pretty quickly as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and more... Uh, functional hypertrophy or relative strength type work for those and try and develop that side of things for them but yeah huge high volume type training uh, workouts giant sets things like that probably not your weapon of choice, choice. for those guys yeah right so the endomorphs endomorphs broaden what characteristics do they present and, and how do you deal oh, with them oh the dreaded endo you don't want to be an endo <laughs> mate but uh, yeah we'll think um, I guess thicker set through the lower body more muscle than an ectomorph but not the meso where they're they're more aesthetically pleasing or more muscle Leaner through the top, heavier through the bottom with the endo. But for those guys, uh, not necessarily that shape, but, but generally the endos will look like that. Uh, some muscle mass, but they're going to have more uh, body fat for them. comes on a lot easier. Yeah. And, and, and can put on muscle, but they can put on can fat Can put on pretty, muscle, but they put on fat. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're all-rounder. They, they are going to put muscle on. They are going to respond well to, to some volume. And um, they're quite, in that regard, easy to program for. You can sort of throw most things at them. But you want to sort of think about carbohydrate intake with those guys and girls, more lower carbohydrate intake. They don't need to, uh, a higher carb intake to perform. But any sort of training program will work reasonably well, uh, in my experience, for those guys and girls with the endomorphs. Now, the mesomorph, they uh, have that capacity to pack on muscle mass quite readily. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're the. I mean, if you were looking at someone for the bodybuilding or for women's physique, figure, uh, but but men's bodybuilding, obviously, being a, someone that can put muscle mass on easily and generally stay pretty lean and respond pretty well to everything. You yeah. Know? I mean, they're the guys that you really can have a lot of fun with, and and generally they'll lean out quite easily too when you when you flip the switch to go and do uh, conditioning or fat burning mode, and you change their program accordingly. Generally, those guys. Their bodies do what they should do, you know. Think of um, the Steves of the world, you know, where you, you sneeze and they, they drop a few percent body fat. Perfect if, if competing is that side of, uh, if that's your thing, uh, then your mesomorph is ideally what you want to, uh, mesoecto ideally. A bit yeah. of a, I mean, no one's, you remember, it's crossovers of all of them. Yeah. Crossover all of them, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, you know, you can work with all of them, Tom, and it doesn't necessarily mean that um, if you do fall into one of those categories that you can't achieve the, the desired body comp change that you want. Yeah. It's just a different, a few different philosophies and, and training that's parameters right, that you'll employ for each. But yeah, and I guess that's the takeaway point. You know, people should sort of have a think about their body type and whereabouts on that spectrum of ecto to meso do they fall and yeah. sort of think about their training and nutrition appropriately. Yeah, exactly, and um, plenty of good information out there. And remember, there's always exceptions to the rule, Tom. So you'll, uh, yeah, we said ectos, lots of calves, but then you will find some that, that don't respond that well. Yeah. So, um, you know, everyone's an individual. I've got to remember that too.
Rodan, one of the things when you back in the early days when you were training oh, yes. training James and he'd expressed to you his desire to become a professional fitness model yeah. and you kind of said oh yeah alright mate let's go and yeah you, yeah I said whatever um, you're very optimistic at the best of times yeah I mean my clients will tell you that I'm very uh, encouraging very very positive and yeah, very outgoing fantastic result this week James really good you're going really well pat him on the back yeah you're always so, there to lend a sympathetic ear when, yeah. they're, when they're struggling emotionally yeah yeah very happy uh, to sit down and sift through their problems in and out of the gym well you know I'm very emotional man myself and uh, you know I wear my heart on my sleeve <laughs> but seriously though he long did. before it would have crossed your mind that this guy could potentially win a pro card he, that yeah. was his burning desire from day dot yeah yeah it really was and um, I'm not the type of coach that someone will tell me something and that will influence what I'm doing you know I have a plan for James and it's always to present uh, the best physique he possibly can and improve on, on his last competition so that's always the goal whether it be you know improve this part of the body bring up this lagging body part get him the individual leaner or what, whatever we need to present a better physique that's what I'm doing the fact that he would mention to me that he's going to get a pro card it's yeah awesome you know great and then I get back to doing what I'm doing but yeah he, he, he did always have that burning desire and I really think mm. that did contribute to him end up uh, ending up getting a pro card, you know, because he always you know, lived in the future and all, he always envisaged himself as James Khan, the IFBB pro. Right, yeah. So um, that was the federation that he wanted a pro card in. It's the International Federation. It's, uh, you know, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger and those guys. That's the federation that they competed in. So that's the federation that he really respected. And, and that's the federation that he got the first ever pro card in, in men's physique in Australia uh, earlier this year at FitEx in Melbourne. And that leads us to the second point that you raise in your article, focus and discipline. Yeah. Because obviously if you have that sort of desire, then the focus and discipline required to do the training, to stick to the nutrition yeah. is going to be there. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I'm fortunate. I've said this time and time again on the show. Like my clients are... Uh, robotic. Uh, robotic. I mean, I've got easy clients to train because they they, they follow the plan really well, you mm. know. And they know if they don't, then then probably I'm not Boom, the best. they're gone. <laughs> One strike and they're out. But no, but I'm not probably, it's not worth training with me because the attention to detail, you don't need that. That's fine. Find another coach that is. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not necessarily a worse coach than me by any stretch of the imagination. It's just that I do things this way and if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. Yeah. So all my clients are pretty good, but James really is credit where credit's due. You know, he his diligence and his, um, for some, I don't forget, he was, you know, essentially 18 when I started uh, working with him and uh, you know, he got his pro card at the age 20. So, you know, for a, a, a 20 year old to have such focus and, and, and discipline and, and application of every, every little change that I, that I made and, and followed uh, to the nth degree, it really is for any individual impressive, let alone a, someone that's doing a, a medical science degree at, uh, up at Macquarie yeah. Uni. And we had to juggle things around his exams. It's like, oh, you know, hey man, I've, I've got exams and, you know, the particular program I'm on, you know, the carbohydrates are making me post-workout really sleepy and I'm falling, at, uh, in my lectures, I'm falling asleep. Yeah. So we often had to... Manipulate things. Yeah, really tweak things, really, yeah. really hands-on and, and swap things around for James so he could actually continue his studies and, and yep. do exams and, and worked around that. But even despite all that, he managed to do everything that was required and get the, the training volume and the, the intensity required to get the result at the end yeah so now if we apply this principle of focus and discipline to general population yeah um the similarity there with james is he had that burning desire that's the goal he wanted to achieve yeah. one of the things we do at clean health in the initial assessment is set a, a goal for the client so find out exactly what it is they want to achieve and 
whether it's the 12-week program, you yeah. know, if they have a specific goal in mind already and you think, well, that might actually take more than 12 weeks, is yeah. how long it could potentially take to achieve that goal. But let's have that destination firmly established, yeah. uh, whether it's a, a lean mass or a body fat or right. a number or a figure or something specific yeah. that we're actually working to so that when things do get tough or, yeah. you, you know, you are led astray by a, a lovely chicken parmesana sandwich that Cam's nibbling on in the corner. Oh, um, yes. That you can come back to that goal and realize why you're doing things. Yeah, really important. And um, one of the easiest clients to have is someone that has a comp coming up because they've got that, or a photo shoot or something like that, because they are going to generally do everything they possibly can to, I mean, they don't want to get up on that stage. There's pressure associated with it. If they're not in shape, looking the the best they could possibly be. So, like, obviously, don't think for one second that all our clients down at uh, Clean Health are all competitors. A lot no. of them are, but a lot of them aren't. Then this and is what we're talking, general uh, population. General pop, that's, exactly. It's the bread and butter. Bread and butter that pay the bills down there. So a clear, defined goal, and, and even mini goals along the way. So yeah, the end result's this, I want to look like this, fantastic. All right, so that initial questionnaire, that, that consultation that we do at the start of every package that we have at, at clean health be it a 12 24 a comp prep package whatever it is we'll always have that initial where we'll assess them and then we'll keep assessing them along the way to make sure that they're on track but yep. the, the the goals are clearly discussed and and, and then broken down into those bite-sized chunks exactly and that's where i guess our next point of periodization or an overview of the structure of the training and nutrition that is going to get them to that point plays a role and things always change you know the way yeah. someone responds to a certain phase of training will always dictate what you do for them next the subsequent phase after yeah. that assessment but generally speaking we'll have a an idea of 12 weeks mapped out yeah. with the different phases that could potentially make up that phase so the client can look at that and say okay there's the end goal yep we'll chunk it down and start working at these things yeah i think Rodan, one of the things as a, a business or a personal training company which has really contributed to clean health success is that structure and the programming because mentally it's very engaging for clients to know that for three to four weeks they're focusing on this new this new little program that they've got and it's exciting and the first couple of weeks are enjoyable then it starts to get a little bit tough a little bit tough and they've got to grind through and get those last few workouts Mm -hmm, out but mm -hmm. the light at the end of the tunnel is a new program and a new stimulus and something to keep them engaged mentally yes uh, to achieve the goal that they're after very good point there tom the mental stimulation a big part of of i think programming and even my my guys and girls that are competing i mean they're even more so than the average one of that great new phase of programming and the whole uh, idea behind that is yeah okay mental stimulation but you know the body will adapt to a certain stimulus but whatever you apply to it it'll it'll shock the body the body will respond to it yep. grow do what it needs to do lean out uh, but then as it adapts to that stimulus a good way to program things is then change that stimulus and, and focus on a different Precisely. aspects, different stimulation of, of different uh, muscle fibers, those sort of things. But but yeah, the mental aspect is, is really uh, something that I know all my clients look forward to, that program mm. change and new challenges in the next phase of program. But I know a lot of, uh, pretty much all the clients down at the CHPC do really mm. love that. Uh, and I think as a takeaway, to really enhance the focus and the discipline training uh, if you're not already getting at least your programs written by someone else or you don't have a trainer and you're struggling for motivation or you've hit a plateau really just look outside and actually get someone to write programs for you you know like it does make a huge difference to uh 
follow a piece of paper which you've paid for, you've invested yeah, in, exactly. and, and someone else has put thought into on your behalf. You know, yeah, it, and it that, changes the whole mental aspect of training. Yeah, and no one's too big or, or no. to, to get trained for someone. Else. And that is the one of the good, uh, the fundamentals down at Clean Health is that, like uh, I've mentioned before, I'm training with Milos Sachev. Before that, it was Shelby Starnes. And then you're training with Andre Benoit at the moment. Dane's training with Phil Lerney. He's that. Stefan's uh, training with Poliquin. Steph training with Poliquin. So. You know, if the management and the senior coaches of, of Clean Health are, you know, they're getting programming from others in the industry, great way to learn. But, you know, it really does, uh, is an example of leading by example. <laughs> is there anything else that needs to be said? Uh, Probably not. Nah, I think that's about covered. Next point, please. Yes, next point. Some of our best work uh, there, Rorden, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was very good. We'll have the commercial radio stations knocking down the door in no time. Yeah, look out. This one's uh, an interesting thing, Rorden, and I guess we are still learning about it or, yeah. or understanding the theory behind what perhaps intuitively we've been doing anyway. But yeah. the third point that you raise in your article regarding James is the programming based around his personality type personality specific programming and yeah for james he's a uh and we'll explain the types as we get a little deeper into this segment but is what you classify as a fire type yeah and you sort of figured that out intuitively and listening to what he would say about each particular phase of training and it sort of dictated how you programmed for him yeah then when charles polican came out and gave a seminar explaining the theory behind personality type and how different personalities respond to certain yeah, kinds of training you matched yeah. them up two and two and you said well that's funny i did exactly that yeah. with james unwittingly yeah but it, it made sense as to how it all worked yeah the polican seminar that we had this year at, at clean health the advanced program design uh that charles came and spoke about basically identifying the the personality type and then the corresponding element of, of Chinese medicine, uh, five elements. And if, if you don't mind, I'll uh, I'll just briefly quote from your wonderfully written piece <laughs> of prose because I think you sum it up quite nicely. Right. Personality type corresponds to one of the five elements of Chinese medicine: fire, wood, earth, metal, or water. Each element comprises a list of fundamental do's and don'ts for training and programming, which help maximize body composition and performance by working with an individual's elemental constitution. Oh, yes. <laughs> what are you yeah, doing well, behind the microphone, mate? Just mate, get behind the computer and tap away. I had some of that Alpha GPC, or, or was it the Anaracetan? Uh, Anaracetan. 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 I had a couple of caps of Anaracetan. I think 700 milligrams or something. <laughs> Twice a day. Very uh, stimulating. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So... Don't ask me to, to give you all the facts, unless you have the facts and figures of, of, of each element type, but it was specific with James, and um, he's the cool one, you know. Everyone, fire types are cool, you know. They, they, they lift heavy shit, and they need lots of variety, and they you know, they don't respond well to volume, so they're never going to get too huffy and puffy in the gym. They just lift heavy, <laughs> and that's it. And, they, and their body responds to that, and, yeah. and the, the, the type of growth and uh, body composition change that would usually uh, warrant a different training stimulus, more volume or more of a uh, significant undulation between uh, volume and, and strength phases or accumulation intensification phases. You certainly still would program different phases from phase to phase for James, but mm. that would all heavily be around 
heavy loads and yes. uh, in a much different way to, to program. And, and I guess retrospectively, it was like we did the advanced program design with, with Charles and and it was sort of like, yeah, that made sense. Then I look back at uh, when I had the most success with James and, and, and all the, the, the characteristics of the signs were there of that fire type. It was uncanny. Mm. And, um, you know, at first glance, it's like, oh, you know, what's Pollock on about here? You know, the, the Chinese medicine, you know, hocus pocus type thing. But it's something that he's known for years and this is the first time he sort of brought it out. And yeah. he's written about it on T Nation. There's a write up there. So you can read about this, and uh, Stefan Ionev did a, a nice piece on it. Um, mm. You can certainly uh, read that as well. It gives a good overview of the the actual um, advanced program design. But yeah, it was all the boxes were ticked. It was ridiculously how uh, yeah. how close it actually was. So we'll give just a brief overview of the characteristics of some of these types. So yeah. as we've alluded to, a fire type yeah. um, basically responds to uh, a lower volume of training but a higher intensity so they like to lift heavy weights and they need a, a variety in yeah. the stimulus very frequently because they adapt so quickly yeah. to each stimulus so they'll get uh, burnt out and bored if they stick on the one workout for too long yeah uh, they can handle volume but the volume the the typical uh, volume in the typical sense no so the volume yeah. high rep type thing no but volume of high intensity they can actually handle yeah. it just has to be ultra high intensity and, and quite low repetition so yeah, that's, uh, like I said, cool stuff. Who doesn't yeah. want to just lift heavy all the time? That's right. We get on the list to uh, a wood type, and I think you and I yeah. fall into the wood bracket. It doesn't sound, fire sounds cool, wood. Yeah. Wood's, wood's not quite as fiery as a fire type, so certainly do respond to functional hypertrophy style training and can yeah. lift heavy loads, but joint we health and, and we need ability. to deload we've got to take the foot off the gas from time to time we'll burn ourselves out yeah it yeah. can handle a bit more volume and can stay with the training phase a little bit longer mm. to uh, get the full adaptation to that phase of training is perhaps what, what a fire type would yeah yeah I mean a fire type I mean Charles talks about uh like true 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 fire type so like almost workout to workout has to be has different, to be different yeah. you know those, those they you know they just uh, stop adapting yeah. stop adapting they, yeah, so they, they can um it's amazing. If we go a little further down the train and, and go to the earth type. McLeod. The real workhorses. Yeah. They can get in and uh, perform a large volume of training in a workout. Yeah. Stick to a phase of training for even a little bit longer than what the earth Chase could. the reps. You know, the, the overtraining considerations that a, a wood or a fire type has, you don't have to take into account so much. Mm, mm. As we move down from a, an earth to the metal and the water. Ew. Really, these aren't the kind of people who you find lifting weights that much. So there wouldn't be too many people who come into the gym who are particularly a water type. Yeah. Uh, you might have the odd metal here and there. Yeah. But the, the adaptation to training is a much longer process. Yeah. So a moderate level of volume. They can't handle too much volume, but a moderate level of volume over mm. a long period of time at moderate intensity, real middle-of-the-road stuff mm. for, the, uh, for the metal type. Yeah, like you said, you, you're not going to see a ton of those people... Because they don't have that drive to get into the gym in the first place. So yeah. you're not going to see a lot of those guys in the gym. So one of the things that you can do, one of the, the systems that we use to actually identify someone's personality type, we use the Braverman assessment. Yeah, the yeah. so Eric Braverman, the yeah, so psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. And so you can just Google the Braverman assessment, Yep. get online, fill that out. It'll give you a bit of a punch out of your dominant neurotransmitter type. And yeah. uh, from there you can sort of figure out where you fit on the spectrum of dopamine dominant 
fire type all the way down to more of the serotonin based water type at the, <laughs> the, uh, at the bottom the, the end hippies. of the scale. Yes. Yeah, so the, the Braveman assessment is, I guess, uh, it will list your dominance uh, in neurotransmitters, so what you're dominant in, then also what you're deficient in. And, and a word of warning, the, the assessment will, will suggest uh, quite harsh health consequences if, if, you, if you aren't particularly deficient in some of the neurotransmitters. But uh, it's quite an interesting um, mm, There's some assessment. interesting questions in there, yes. Yeah, yeah. So basically four main neurotransmitters, the, the dopamine, acetylcholine, the GABA, and the serotonin. So it will tell you what you're dominant in and then also what you're deficient in. And, and according to that, yeah, definitely programming side of things, but also supplementation can look at that side of things to improve, balance your neurotransmitters. So ideally, you know, each will have their pros and cons, but depending on, on what your purpose in life is, it, it, it might be more beneficial to have yeah. a higher, like Dave McDonald, uh, you know, CHPC director and founder, uh, very high dopamine, but he consequences, he gets burned out quite regularly you know he just he's, he's always going 100,000 miles an hour 24-7 type thing taking Much over the world the, uh, chagrin of his employees <laughs> yeah the, the inducing cortisol amongst yes. us all but for him if, if he didn't have that dopamine if he wasn't such a dominant personality in the neurotransmitter dopamine then then you know we wouldn't be, wouldn't be here, have yeah. our own facility yeah. and, and have a podcast and all that type of yeah. stuff so uh, thanks for being uh, dopamine dominant Dane we'll let you off on that one we might actually get Stefan into the studio at some stage to really go into this topic with a little more depth because he loves it and it's, it's pretty fascinating. It, it is really interesting and, and he is the man to talk to in regards to uh, element types and um, different personalities and programming accordingly. Boom. Yes, you're listening to Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast with Rawdon and Tommy. A couple of weeks ago on the program, Rawdon, we had Ed Cohen. Yes. You were sharing a seat with his... Uh, still, still a mountain of a man. Fairly staunch, wide shoulders over there. And uh, he was in here talking about powerlifting and his career and also the uh, upcoming Ultimate Powerlifting Seminar. Yeah. that he, He's coming out to Australia in 2015 to... Uh, Part of Clean Health Education. To do. And uh, we mentioned as the other half of that seminar is Paul Carter. Yes. And we referenced that we're trying to get him on the program and have a bit of a chat about his spin on things. And certainly if you followed Paul Carter at all online, you'll... Uh, You'll know exactly where you stand with his spin on things. <laughs> a very raw, tell it how it is spin on things. And uh, I guess, Rawdon, on the show here, one of the things we say is when in doubt, trench it out. And, yeah, and that's just saying. refer back to what works in the trenches. Yeah. And that's one of the appealing things about Paul Carter's approach. He's got over 20 years experience lifting weights. He's a national yep. level power lifter. He's contributed to pretty much every strength training website. Yep. Every uh, worthy site. Worth its salt. A lot of really uh, interesting blog posts on his website, Lift, Run, Bang. And yep. uh, pretty much just an all-round badass who yeah, badass dude, yep. n- not afraid to call a spade a spade. And um, <laughs> if it works, he sticks with it. If he doesn't, he gets rid of it. Exactly. It's a pleasure to have him on Under the Bar today. Paul, mate, welcome to the show and thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. That was a ridiculous uh, intro about me. You did like that, mate? <laughs> <laughs> we just got to buddy you up a little bit before yeah, we get yeah. into things, mate. Yeah. That was full of pomposity. <laughs> <laughs> The badass bit, I suppose, was the the rang true with you. I think we're probably treading a fairly fine line here, here Rawdon, because he does have a, a sensitive built-in bullshit detector. So ah, there's yes. only so much we can get away with. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's gone off already. Yeah. Okay. It was redlining pretty hard on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't get to hear the uh, 
I missed the uh, podcast with Ed. I'm, I'm interested. I have to go back and listen to it now to see what kind of shit he talked on. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one will be... That's coming out this week. This yeah, week so it's out, On yeah. iTunes. Yeah. So, um, Ed yeah. and I are actually really good friends, obviously, and uh, he picks on me a lot. I saw him at the Arnold last year, and we hadn't seen each other in a while, and uh, he came up to me and gave me a, a big hug, and he looked at me, and it's, the first word he said to me was, you got fat. <laughs> Like fucking thanks, Ed. Appreciate. It. <laughs> nice Bye. to see you too. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> but he, yeah, he's. If you get to know Ed, uh, he'll he'll be like that with you. But he's a he's a completely genuine guy. And the thing that from the first time I ever met Ed that impressed me about him was Ed's obviously he's like the Michael Jordan of powerlifting, right? Yeah. Mm. And uh, you know the greatest of all time. Nobody's really even a close second, in my opinion. And uh, yet he's still very grounded and humble. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, he was. Uh... I mean, he was having a bit of a holiday while he was out here as well, and he just hung around in the studio for a while yeah. afterwards, and we had to chat about what he's up to and various yep. things, and he's just a perfectly normal bloke. In fact, it was uh, it was quite hard to get him out of the studio. We just, <laughs> he wanted to keep talking, <laughs> didn't he? Keep going. He's so, going, hey, oh, we've got a show to do yeah, here, we're, we're under the bar. We're celebrities. Yeah, we've got a show to run. But, uh, <laughs> he's a really, really cool guy. I'm looking forward to being around during that Ultimate Powerlifting Tour that you're doing next year. We'll make some... We'll throw some dates and talk about that uh, in the end, but we'll go through a few other bits and pieces about uh, what you've done, if you don't mind, first, mate. Okay, sure. Yeah, so, Paul, if you could just give us a brief synopsis of your career and ha- how you got involved in it all and, and, I guess, the evolution of Lift, Run, Bang. Wow, that's a pretty interesting story, actually. I started training, actually, about 25 years ago. And the first 15 years or so I trained, I did a lot, mostly like bodybuilding stuff. I mean, I read every magazine and every book. And um, basically, I, I did as much as I could to educate myself, mm. uh, you know. And uh, probably uh, 10, yeah, 10 years ago or so, I, I decided, you know, I knew I wasn't going to, uh, to diet for 20 weeks and rub salad dressing <laughs> all over myself and pose for people <laughs> in stage and uh you know i really like the idea of uh you know the simplicity of powerlifting what i mean by that is you know you go to a meet either you can make a lift or you can't whereas bodybuilding there's you know there's yeah. such a judgmental thing yeah. you know it's a subjective sport so then i started you know there's for me there wasn't a, a really huge transition from bodybuilding and powerlifting because there's a lot of crossover between the two if you really understand and look at it correctly the, you know, obviously, if you're going to powerlift, you have to do the big three, but you can do a lot of bodybuilding in your powerlifting training, and a lot of guys do. So yeah. and you just had to understand how programming works in powerlifting and what it looks like and, you know, what technique is supposed to really properly look like and, and those, those sort of things. So yeah. started uh, writing uh, on the blog, and it was literally just something I wanted to do, like, in private. I really liked writing. And I wrote a novel, I think it was about five or six years ago, never got it published. I just wrote it for me. It was all these like stories I had in my head and I wanted to write it. It took like, a couple of years to write and it was like 400 plus pages. Like a training novel or just a novel about your life experiences? No, it was actually, it's like, you know, like a fantasy book. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah, all right. You nice. know, kind of like a Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Wow. I can't believe I'm talking about this. <laughs> touch of the Fifty so, Shades of Grey? It was, it was all, these, um, <clears throat> all these stories I'd had in my head from the time I was like a kid. Yeah. And I, I wanted to put them on paper. So I just decided one day, yeah. fuck it, I'll, I'm going to do it. So I just sat down and started writing. And I didn't, and I would never would have thought I would have loved writing so much. So I started writing and I wrote on it for like a year and a half or two years before I finished it. And <laughs> read, read it to my kids and they loved it. And it was a really great thing. So I started uh, writing on the blog and um, 
Um, good friends with uh, Jim Wendler. You, know, you guys know who Jim is, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And Jim was the senior editor at Elite at the time. And I would send Jim my little articles I wrote that were in private. Nobody could see them. The blog was actually set to private, so nobody could look at it. I didn't want anybody to read my shit. <laughs> so uh, I sent it to him, and, and I'd say, hey, what do you think you know, about these principles, these ideas? And Jim was like, dude, this is awesome. He's like, after a couple of, of articles that I wrote, he said, do you, uh, he goes, do you want me to push this up the ladder and get them published? And I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, I didn't have any comment. Like, I'm a nobody. I don't. I didn't feel very confident about that kind of thing. So Jim kind of persuaded me eventually over time. He's like, let me let me push these up and you know get them published and you know just go from there. And like as soon as that happened, things just took off. Yeah. And uh, I just kept writing. And then writing about training like all the time gets boring for me. Mm, yeah. So I mean, there's there's only so much you can write. I mean, there really is about about training. I mean, people have written books articles, all sorts of stuff about lifting and the barbell and stuff, you know, what, 60, 70 years now. There's only so much you can write about that kind of stuff. So eventually I started writing, you know, like more of like uh, social outtakes and that kind of thing. And those people really like that shit too. And, you know, some people loved it and some people hated me for it. And that was okay. It's like the saying goes, you know, be loved or hated, but never ignored. Mm, so yeah. in this day and age, you can't really give an opinion without somebody thinking you're an asshole about it. Yeah. yeah. So... You know, I kept writing, and then uh, things went from there, and people wanted me to, you know, ask me to write for certain websites and then get involved in certain seminars and working with people, and everything just kind of grew from that point. Uh, and then I kept competing, and I think I had three or four competitions in a row where things just did not go well, and, you know, my lifting was subpar, and I was trying to do really big weight cuts and stuff like that, and I kept getting injured. So it was it this couple of months ago, I, I did uh, my meet for the year, I went in, didn't put any pressure on myself. I said, I just want to go in, you know, and and walk out, and not limp out. And that was kind of my uh, my goal for the actual meet. And then I ended up hitting a, a PR total. So just by taking the pressure off myself, and and then you always walk away and think because all my pretty much all my lifts ended up being so easy that I was like, well, I could have probably totaled yeah yeah so much more than I did. But you know what? I was I saw a lot of guys that, that did get get fucked up and get in, got injured at the meet. I'm like, oh yeah, that's yeah. why I did it that way. So, I mean, that's kind of been the evolution of, I mean, obviously there's a lot of other stuff that happened in there, yeah. but how I ended up coming to be on this podcast at this moment. Yes. What, um, if you don't mind me asking, mate, what numbers did you hit? What was your total and what did you squat, bench, and deadlift? Uh, you guys are kilo motherfuckers, so every time <laughs> I talk about a shit in pounds, you guys don't, like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, no, I mean, I've been uh, in the game for a while, reading a lot of American magazines, so I, I know pounds, <laughs> yeah. I know pounds. You can shoot, rattle those numbers off. Yeah, so, uh, I at six thirty, and you guys know I, I I compete like no belt, no wraps. No yeah, yeah. at six thirty, I only benched four forty. I had this, uh, I had bicep impingement going into the meet. I had benched uh, four eighty five a few months before that, so I I was kind of hoping going into the meet before that pain set in that I would bench close to five hundred. Yeah. Um, I just I I did the four my four hundred five opener was fast and I it wasn't as painful as I thought. Then I went to four forty and I. Oh my god! I felt like my eyes were gonna bleed. <laughs> I ended up missing my third, not because it was heavy, just because you know I, the pain was just uh, too much pain. I went out and my last pull was—I uh, just pulled 700, uh, no belt. So uh, I mean, I was happy. You know, basically, like I said, to walk away. I still had my arms hurt so bad for the next four days. Like I literally, I got like an hour to sleep every night. Yeah, uh, horrific. And 
like narcotics would knock it out. It was so bad. I mean, it was just unbelievably bad. So at the same time, you know, I could have, I was, I even skipped my third deadlift because I was just happy to go in and pull 700 and walk away. Yeah. And, uh, and then I thought about, should I take my third and go out and, you know, try to pull 730? And then I was like, no, I'll pass. And then when I walked down the ramp and the off air, the kind of the offside area of the platform, my buddy was sitting there and he had torn his bicep on his last deadlift attempt. And I thought, you know what? It's a good call. I you know, I thought it was just kind of like the powerlifting guys let me know, hey, that was the right move. So yeah. sometimes it's, it's better to walk away and uh, leave a little in the tank for your next one. Definitely. I have, obviously, I'm going to I'll compete again next year, and I have big plans to move up probably in the top 10 for the year and the 275s, you know, without a belt, without wraps. And if I do that, I'll probably just walk away at that point. What, yeah. uh, what weight were you at for that meet this year? I weighed in at 271, which is funny because that's less than I usually weighed when I would do like big weight cuts. So I was actually lighter, even though I'd weigh in at 242 on previous meets, I would always cut from 275. Right. Yeah. And that is a hard cut. I mean, that's a, you know, 32, 33 pounds I'd end yeah. up having to cut to get there. And, uh, you know, this is how I feel about, you know, weight cuts. If you're, if you're, if you're going to, you got a shot at a world record or if it's a small weight cut, like, you know, eight pounds, nine pounds yeah. or something. You know that's that's doable, but I think for you know guys that that are doing, there's no reason for a guy that got no shot at a world record and having to do a really big cut, anything over about seven percent of your body weight, it just takes too much out of it. Well, I've seen uh, we've at uh, Clean Health in the city, Sydney City here. We've ran a couple of comps out of there and uh, seeing guys trying to cut weight for that, but the performance is, you know, a shadow like, of themselves. Yeah, like yeah. he normally squats in kilos, you know, sort of two thirty, two forty, and he was. You know, it was like a, a 180 or a 170, like a huge difference. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't I, seem to go too well. A lot of guys don't understand that. It's that uh, even if you do a successful weight cut, the majority of guys do take a hit in performance afterwards. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, I mean, if you're talking about cutting 30, 30 plus pounds, I generally don't see too many guys go out there and hit what I know they hit in training. Yeah. So it's just, it does take a lot out of you. And it's not... You know, I wanted to get back to, I just want to go from like when I started competing and just go in and have fun. That that yeah. was the main thing. I just wanted to go in and actually have fun and enjoy seeing my friends and and go out and, you know, and just have a good time. That, yeah. I felt like that was the, that's a good attitude for a lot of guys to take instead of walking out and putting so much pressure on themselves. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of, uh, if you don't mind, I'll talk about one of the pieces you wrote on, um, on Lift Run Bag. I think it was Dark Side and Obsessions, part three, Big Empty. Remember that yeah. one where you're talking about, uh, for our listeners, Paul talks about the fun house. Everyone's caught in this fun house, you know, with the mirrors, and what we see in the mirrors is distorted, and we don't actually see ourselves as see we are. See ourselves how yeah. we are at, at that point in time. And, you know, I think uh, one of your, the friends you're talking about there made the comment, you know, you never enjoy it when you're actually in it. Point being is, you know, I think that the person you were talking about, you know, at that point in time, you had seen him and he was looking, you know, shredded, phenomenal, and you said to him, uh, you know, this is the best I've ever seen you look, and and he's just like, meh, yeah, he was going on holiday or something, and right. then uh, x amount of years later, he looked back at the photos and said, well, yeah, Paul, I, I was really, really shredded. I didn't realize that was that was how amazing I looked, and and then he went on to say, you know, you never enjoy it when you're in it, and um, and I think you you then went on to speak about your. Uh, you know, I think it was like 175, man, I'd be jacked at 175 and then, then 205 and then, 
you know, up to uh, beyond where you are now type thing. And that was something that, that I myself, I've been training for 23 years as well. And, uh, you know, I remember chasing the weight and, you know, I got up to like I'm only 103 kilos at the moment. But, you know, I got to the 105, 110 and then kept sort of creeping up. And a friend and I were just sort of chasing the numbers. We got up to 130, which is 280 pound. And for me, anyone that knows me, you know, I'm not a particularly big guy, so I can't even believe. Like now, I can't even can't get to one. Can't believe you were that big. Yeah. One, like, I tell people at work, and they're like, "Holy moly!" But yeah, I was caught up in that game, and I never, even at the 130, you know, I didn't think I had had any any significant size. But 280 pound is a reasonable amount of muscle mass. Obviously, I wasn't lean in any way, shape, or form at that weight. But, but uh, you know, looking back, it's like, "Holy moly!" You know, maybe I did have some size, but uh, I don't know that it ever completely goes away, right? I mean, I've, like. <laughs> I've been at this like 25 years now and uh, and that that's such a great story because um, that was my friend Roger and Roger and I used to train in the same gym and I remember that so distinctively because I mean he looked just I mean he just looked amazing and he, it was you know the biggest and the leanest I'd ever seen him you know I try to be complimentary of him like hey Roger you look amazing dude you look great and he'd be like eh and I think that I don't know that it ever goes I don't ever know that you look at yourself and, uh, and that you're able to really diagnose yourself with a, an unbiased eye, right? I, I mean, I think, I always feel like it's an opposite end of the spectrum. Like, the little guys always think they look fucking big as shit. And then, like, the big guys always think they look small. I have, I have another good story about that. My friend, Mike Lugaria, who is fucking enormous. He's like five, 330 pounds and not really that fat at that weight. How heavy? Three hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah, right. He's absolutely enormous. And his his wife did competitive bodybuilding and he was at a show and he was looking at this dude, I guess you know, dude looked pretty good, you know, it was pretty jacked, and, and he looked at her and he goes he goes, Honey, he's like, Am I as big as that guy? And she looked at him, she goes, Mike, that guy's hundred and ninety eight pounds. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I mean it's funny this the perception that we get of ourselves after you get involved in the physical culture, because I mean I've been two ninety and still didn't, like you said, I still didn't feel like a big guy, even though everywhere I went, you know, that yeah. people eyeball me or talk, want to talk to me about, you know, how big I was and that kind of stuff. But yeah. I don't know that you ever get that overall feeling of fulfillment because you always yeah. set like this, these goals, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if I weigh this much and I'm this lean, then I'll look yeah. fucking awesome. And then yeah. if you ever there, well, I don't look like I thought I would look. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's good because in one sense, you're always working striving. for something, striving for something. But in another sense, it's kind of symptomatic of what it's like more broadly speaking in life. You know, you're always thinking, when I get this much money, I'll Glass be happy. Is always greener, when yeah. this happens, I'll be happy. It would just be nice as humans if we could just chill out and actually enjoy yeah. the process and the present moment a little bit more while we're actually in it. Yeah. I will point out that then, uh, Paul did write that... You know, at the end of the day, he's a lifter because he, he just loves to train and uh, not to uh, try and impress anyone. I think really deep down, that's why you know a lot of us still do do it. It's just because we actually love getting the bar on the back and you know, nothing like a, pulling a big number from the floor. It, it really does send a shiver down my spine, Tom. <laughs> and I, I think I wrote about that in the Lifer series too, is that if I, if I was stuck on a deserted island with no one to ever see what I looked like and I had access to weights, I was still trained. Still trained, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The sanity. Yeah, just the structure that it provides to yeah. your life. You know, that's what we do. Exactly. That's how it is. Zombie apocalypse happened. I mean, I wouldn't fuck that chick. I'd still lift weights. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Don't go silent on me, guys. I'm going to put you in a bad position every now and then. <laughs> okay. That's fine, mate. We're just fluffing around with our papers here trying yeah, to yeah. sound professional. Yes. Maybe we wanted to just expand on some of your training philosophies. You wrote another blog article, Just Train, and you had basically four pillars mm. that make up the broad philosophy that you follow with your training. Uh, number one, train hard. Number two, be consistent. Number three, get stronger. And four, keep what works and throw out what doesn't. Mm. 
to tackle the first one, trained hard. It's one of the things that Rod and I discuss all the time. You know, we have clients that come in and mm. people want results and sometimes just they getting, just the, fluff around, getting the training intensity out of people to yeah. get that result is half yeah. the battle, you know? Training hard. Yeah, John Meadows and I had a conversation about this. You know, I'll be out there with John too. Yeah, and, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. John and I had a conversation about this because, you know, in the internet age that we're in, there's so much information dispensed at this point, right? Yep. Every week you turn around and there's a new study and there's new training system and there's a new this and a new that. And it leaves so many young guys that do want to get better and do want to get bigger and do want to get stronger. And it leaves them, you know, paralyzed by analysis because they look at all these different things and a lot of them, they say they contradict each other or you, yeah, know, you yeah. have to try this way from maximizing results or, or whatever. And John made a good point about it all. He said, at some point, you're just going to have to go into the gym and train really hard. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what that means until you've actually done it for long enough and yeah. done it enough times. There's no way to really put that on paper. Like anybody that's done enough sets of 20 rep squats or 30 rep squats, you know, and feel like they're going to die for 15 minutes afterwards, they understand the concept <laughs> of training hard means, right? Exactly. And that for five years. I don't mean five years straight because I would that would probably make me quit training. If somebody said I had to do twenty rep squats every week for five, for years, five I might, years. All right, I'm gonna go play music again at this yeah, point. Yeah, take me to the deserted island. Yes. Yeah, I'll take I'll take this island and just and play coconuts. I don't know, but at some point you do have to understand yeah. what heart training means. And you just have to put in enough time for that to manifest itself in the way of results. There was about yeah. a two year span there where I did dog crap training. Are you guys familiar with dog crap training? Yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. And dog crap training is, is a brutally hard way to train. I mean, it's a brutally difficult way to train. And I did it for two years pretty much nonstop, taking a break rarely. I grew a lot during that time because I, I was just fed up with being uh, stagnant and, and not moving yeah. in progress, not, you know, not getting any bigger, not getting any stronger. And the truth was, a lot of guys, they get very complacent because they get to a point where they feel kind of satisfied. And that, I mean, that's happened to me. I don't think it's possible to train as long as I have, 25 years, hmm. and not have those moments where you kind of get complacent and you're kind of, you know, you're kind of okay, satisfied. Like, you know, you set a goal, you hit that goal. And then what I find for a lot of guys after they hit a, a significant goal like that in training is they kind of put it on cruise for a while. Yeah. And you guys, if you think about it, you probably had those times in your life where like, oh, I want to deadlift 500 or I want to deadlift 600 or I want to bench 405 or whatever it is you want to do. And then that happens. And then afterwards, you realize you either regress or you don't get much better at all. And I was kind of in that state where I hadn't made progress in a long time. And I kind of woke up one day and I realized, you know, looking through my training logs and just thinking about my training progress, I'm just like, I haven't, I haven't really gotten any better for a while. And it was just kind of a brutal wake-up call. And, you know, I decided then, I'm like, I'm going to really, you know, bust my ass for the next yeah. however long to, to make this happen. And after two, about two years of training that way, uh, I made a lot of progress. But I was pretty burnt on training that hard, like every session, day in and day out. And, you know, I started devising different ways to train that you can still get results without killing yourself every single session. I still think that you have to have those. Yeah, And I, I still think you have to get, well, you know what I call like nuts sometimes in the gym. And I still have days where I had a day a couple of months ago where I did like 23 sets of front squats with 405. <laughs> so it was, I think it was between like triples or sets of five or something, but yeah. I just, I felt good. And you just kept and I, going. 
yeah, I paid for it the next few days pretty yeah. badly. Can imagine, can imagine. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you 100% there, and, and I'm the first to say that at the moment I'm training with, working online with Milos, and Milos doesn't, his programs don't allow for any uh, slacking off, so I, I am in a, for me, a hard state of training at the moment, and my body's responding, but prior to that, I'm the first to tell anyone, I don't train hard at the moment, I'm trained, yeah, and I train regularly, but I don't train hard, and I really do agree with you, it's really when you make that decision to step it up a notch, and you're training hard then, like, at the end of each workout, I'm nauseous, you know, I, I'm like, oh my god, that was disgusting but you know you back it up the next day and uh and i'm enjoying it but it's at the same time it's pretty pretty unpleasant i mean you kind of know when you're in that zone and when you're not right i mean if you're yeah. really honest with yourself you, i mean you know when you're training really hard everything has to be on point your sleep yeah. has to be yeah you can't get away with and you can't, i mean when you're younger you can't i always tell people this is that you know obvious trainers or intermediate guys that are you know in the just the beginning stages everything they have a lot more room for error and can still make progress yes I, mean, I remember being 20 years old and you know going out and partying every weekend and staying up all night and still making significant progress in the gym training six days a week if i go to vegas now and i'm out one night i have to sleep for 14 hours the next day yeah hmm. i mean that changes but if you're honest with yourself you know you know when you're training really hard and you you know when you got it on cruise control for a while. Yeah. It's, I was a little disheartened this morning, Paul, reading uh, one of your blog posts where you, you sort of said after eight to ten years of <laughs> pretty good consistent training, uh, if you're staying natural, you've pretty much maxed out yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the gains you're going to get. I was like, oh. But I, I said to Tom, I said, how much longer have you got, mate? Have got? And so there's hope for him left. Squeeze uh, a few out. That's yeah. it. That's it. All right, I guess... I guess, uh, you know, train hard, be consistent. We covered those two then. What about get stronger? Like how, more from a programming perspective, what's your take on that? When I, when I first transitioned, you know, everybody's, you know, the big mantra in powerlifting a lot of times, you know, go heavy or go home. Yep. And it's like going to the gym, you know, like do, like, like pile on as much weight as you can and approach it from that aspect. What I found after a while was there's a, a big point, and you guys, I don't know if you guys talked with Eddie about this, but Eddie is a guy I learned a lot from when I was transitioning. So a lot of the things that I believe in, a lot of the things that I I have seen from, you know, even from an evidence standpoint, anecdotal, and even from like old Russian manuals and those kind of things, you know, basically speak to the fact that training ultra heavy over 90% of your max has a point of diminishing returns where it's gonna take more away from you than it's gonna get back to you, okay? Mm, yeah. So what I eventually learned was that training, um, in the basically the lower percentages in the 70% kind of range and really focusing on being explosive in your bar speed, occasionally going into the 80s and then rarely venturing into the 90s, you could get really strong really fast that way and you didn't put yourself at a chance of having more risk for injury and you didn't feel yeah. so beat up all the time and then training got fun again. Yeah. So going into the gym and I wasn't doing like max triples, you know, where you feel like, you know, somebody beat the shit out of you with a baseball bat after <laughs> neck. And, uh, and focused on my volume and my bar speed. And it yeah. was kind of by accident that I, you know, I knew all these things. It's one thing. And I always, I write about this a lot and tell people this a lot. A lot of us have the knowledge and a lot of us have know what's right, but the application of the knowledge is the hardest part sometimes, right? Yeah, 100%. So you can know something, but actually applying it to your life is the more difficult choice. Definitely. So I knew all of these things and I read them a million times, but you're still, you, know, you get this thing in your head where it's, you know, it's around the thinking that I've got to go in and lift as much weight as possible. And I just 
at a point I just find I just didn't progress very well that way. Mm. And I was actually, it's funny I mentioned Vegas, I was in Vegas and I had a small gym there that I was there for like nine days and they didn't have enough weights. So I just trained light and did a lot of sets and I'd been stuck. Um, I came home and I was able to, you know, train heavier again and absolutely just destroyed a bunch of PRs. I Fascinating. Yeah, and I was like, you know, maybe there's more merit to this. And so I kind of started applying it. And I remember I started doing front squats with as low as like 225 for a lot of volume. And then one day I just walked in and did like a front squat with like 455 pounds, like it was nothing. Well, I mean, there's obviously something to this, you know, and what it comes back to is, you know, neural adaptions and, and making more motor cortex more aligned with what the body's trying to do. Mm. You don't have to go so heavy all the time in order to get stronger. Focus on your speed, your explosiveness, your bar speed getting your volume in and actually you know going over that same movement pattern over and over and over again that's what's going to say it would so probably I, allow allow you to, to really hone that technique try yeah. and get that perfect repetition dropping them down to 70 percent, 70 75 percent of your max yeah and that was what i eventually and that's why i ended up writing base building was because i started putting all this stuff into action and then i started hitting prs like just like eat like casually just easy like i would go in Feel good on a day, and I would, I would do a PR, and it would just like be nothing. Awesome. The worst thing about that is that you you think about the fact that you wasted all those years doing unproductive shit, and then <laughs> finally figure out how to do something productive, and then you're old. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'll be 40 next month, and I'm like, man, if I would have known these things, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, I would probably be past where I'm at even now. Exactly. But if you hadn't have been through it, would you really, really know it the way that you actually know it? Yes. No, I mean, that that's a great point is because I already knew it then, right? Mm. But I, I failed to apply it properly. Yeah. So that's the hardest part is, is, you know, I've had so many guys I've trained online, so many guys that have used you know, this method and gotten stronger and just been shocked. Uh, I had one guy go, go, in, go into a meet and we hit everything that he had been wanting to hit going into his meet. He'd been trying to hit these PRs for like three years. And he hit all of his PRs in training very easily and went into the meet and of course, you know, hit, you know, even more PRs. And, you know, we never trained that heavy. They just, I kind of call it letting, letting your strength come to you. So instead of trying to force yourself to hit certain numbers, just go in and train and let the numbers eventually come to you and they will if you don't try to constantly yeah. force numbers that aren't your body's not ready for that yeah. aren't there and constantly try to force them to come i mean the body's not you know it doesn't work on some linear timetable going up and up yeah. and up there's up and downs and you have to recognize what those are and adjust your your intensity and your volume and those kind of things when you're having a down day i guess that's the benefit of coming to a course where you people can experience that firsthand from yourself and someone like Ed Cohen is hopefully they can tap into all of those years of trying and failing and experimenting with different things so will you be going through these sorts of programming systems and stuff like that with attendees at the ultimate powerlifting course yeah that would be a lot of what Ed and I covered Ed and I have already done one seminar together something Eddie said in that seminar was so great and you think about how long Eddie competed and how long he trained and uh we were on a panel and I asked I asked Eddie a question for the audience. My question was to Eddie, how many lifts have you ever missed in training? He said, none. <laughs> that's that's how smart Eddie was about his training was that mm. he didn't he didn't miss lifts. He was gonna have a miss that was gonna be on the platform. Yeah. Yeah. He he did say that when he was in here, he never ever maxed out in training. Yeah. And his thing was and he tells people this, he goes, Why would you? 
He's like, why don't you save your big lifts for your competitions? Mm, yeah, it makes sense. And uh, I know uh, Ed was saying also at the Ultimate Powerlifting Seminar that we're bringing out next year that he's going to be very hands-on. So he's going to be in there poking, prodding, breaking everyone's lift down. When you're at these type of events, Paul, are you very hands-on as well? You like to get in there and get all the attendees actually going through the movement patterns? Yeah, Eddie and I talked about that you know, a couple of months ago is that we that's what we both really enjoy is like the hands-on part actually working with people individually and uh and and you know that's kind of one of the reasons like when i do seminars and i'm just by myself i don't really like like a large attendance because i try to work with everyone for a long period of time yeah. and if you know if it's too many people i don't understand how you're going to give a lot of hands-on training to each person so ed and i are both very much like that in a lot of ways that we like to it's a it's one of the most fun parts of doing these things is yeah that, you get a chance to work with someone and make them better and, and you get to look at uh, at how you know you know their technique and those kind of things and it's pretty amazing sometimes the biggest thing i always find is a lot of people don't understand most people think they do things really wrong or really bad or their their squat or their bench needs so much work and oftentimes it's literally moving one inch yeah. in one direction or moving the bar one inch on your back it's very usually very minor small things that yeah. people just understand the positions you need to be in and yeah i mean that'll be a really big part of uh, what eddie and i be doing we'll be looking at people and adjusting them and you know and helping yeah. them get their technique right yeah that looks like fun too because uh, we actually just had the the poliquin and uh, clock off tour out here and you know the attendees uh, the guys and girls said it was awesome having um clock off in there giving them a spot but it, it looks very cozy I, I would often look over and i'd see uh you know someone in the squat position and clock off sort of wrapped around them legs straddling behind and yeah. hands around the their waist <laughs> sort of getting them into position so i suppose we can expect that sort of stuff from you too paul yeah i mean uh, you know i was in montreal with charles and, and dimitri and you know the thing i came impressed with about dimitri was i mean the guy has so much passion for working with people right yeah it's, it's amazing like you know the guy was a silver medalist and obviously as well known as he is and he treats every person like they are getting ready for to compete in the olympics right yeah i mean that was the thing i was really impressed with dimitri's passion for getting in there and helping people in, in that kind of way now once you leave like he doesn't talk but you know when he's, when he's actually teaching yeah. yeah it doesn't say much outside of the uh and you know he, he has his uh, standard um uh, bottle of coke to get him through the day that's all he needs to then yeah no food no water <laughs> no yeah. food no water punching out prs at the seminar so pretty crazy crazy things going on there did uh did dane ever tell you guys the story about about coke at lunch one day i, I think it might that might have been what uh, made me say that i think I, I do recall the coke being mentioned what was that one Oh, if you guys don't want me to say it, I won't. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was say just it. the... Yeah, no, say it. Like, anything that's going to uh, have a stab at Dane, we encourage on this show. Yes. Uh, well, it was, it was more, Dimitri kept, he kept saying, you know, he's Russian, so he kept saying, Kok. And, uh, <laughs> and the waitress kept looking at him, she couldn't understand what he was asking to drink. And he kept saying, <laughs> he kept saying, he kept saying, Kok. And Dane finally looks at the waitress and goes, he's not saying cock. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do remember that. Funny. And then I ended up making fun of Dimitri about that pretty much for the rest of the day. I don't think he appreciated me picking on him all the time. Yes. <laughs> well, look, it sounds like he, uh, you know, under all that, he does have a, a sense of humor. We just got to chip away and wear him just down. Just got to wear him down. That's we'll, right. We'll get him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dimitri would have moments where he would like loosen up, and we would all like laugh and have a good time. And then you know, he kind of he would kind of bottle back up later. Yeah. Yeah. 
such a so, thick dude too like a just thick yes. those forearms you know just 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 strong he just yeah, oozes had, strong you know him and ed and ed when i met ed ed had some of the biggest hands of anybody i've ever oh, yeah, no he showed us he yeah, showed yeah. us the basketball yeah. man he can hold the basketball out in Crazy. two fingers between thumb and forefinger and i think dimitri's hands may be bigger than ed's mm. yeah freaks i mean dimitri's got a big ass head i mean yes like, that was the first thing i actually noticed about him when i met him <laughs> How big his noggin was? <laughs> just enormous. But he, you know, he's like you don't get that from looking at, at pictures of him where he's by himself because there's no. there's context. But yeah. uh, he, like from a bone structure idea, he's you know gigantic and right? incredibly uh, bowed legs. Yes, as well. Very very I mean, wide stance. I'm assuming that must have some sort of mechanical advantage for him as well. Like the Donald's arches, man. I mean, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> somebody had told me that and it would be our to describe how bow-legged he is to someone until they meet him. I mean, it's, I don't, like you said, I don't know if there is a, some kind of mechanical advantage to that, but, uh, I mean, it is pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. Even if there is some mechanical advantage, he's, he's still a strong mofo. Yeah. When someone gets that strong, it's like every little thing about them works together for, for, for that purpose. Yeah. 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 No different than Ed. Ed had all, if you, if you look at Ed, when you guys met him, like he's, he's uh, four foot, what, three? <laughs> Big four. gorilla arms. Scott, you know, his hands are like four times the size of the average guys, and his arms are very long. So you know he's going to be good at deadlifting. He's got, you know, short little midget legs. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, squatting, and a lot of guys that can pull big can't bench big, but Ed's so thick through the chest that it makes up for it. So, I mean, he's one of those guys. I always said Ed was a perfectly leveraged mutant. Yes. 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 Anyway, uh, Paul, you'll be out here with Ed in uh, April. We'll give the dates after this for the Ultimate Powerlifting Tour, mate. And uh, we might even try and get you in the studio when you're in Sydney if we have a chance. The stars align. But it's going to be very snug in here, you know, because we're obviously all big dudes in here. Squeezing Paul in, But yes. uh, it's a very small studio, but we'd love to have you in here. I'm actually dieting, so I'll probably be really tiny by the time I get Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, right like 240 or something, yeah, yeah, 250, yeah. shredded. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's actually the goal is I'd like to get to about uh, 255 in single digits, and that's kind of what I'm working Yeah, for. and then you won't be happy when you're there, and then you'll have to set a new one. Yeah, and... then we'll say, Jesus, Paul, you're looking fantastic at the moment, mate. Then you'll go, <laughs> you won't believe nah, us. man, it's meh. You want to go out no to good. the deserted island? Yeah, in two years from now, I'll look back at pictures when I was in Australia. And be like, yeah, that's, <laughs> awesome. that's it. Of yeah. course, we'll have to chuck you up on the Harbour Bridge like we did with Dimitri. You know, it's a standard. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking very forward. I always actually wanted to come to Australia from like the time I was a teenager, and then uh, and then Discovery Channel was invented, and I realized you guys have like every conceivable, <laughs> like most poisonous everything, oh, yeah. insects, yeah, snakes, yeah. Yeah. all all round us, mate. Like we go out of the studio and we got to watch deadly spiders, right. and things, kangaroos you know, jumping kangaroo down, down the main street. street. Yeah. yeah. Like, thank <laughs> you for your time, Paul. Yeah, mate, I look hey. forward to chatting when you come out. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me on, and obviously I'll see you guys when I get out there. Perfect. Wonderful. Thanks for the time, mate. See you later. All right, guys. Have a good evening. Bye. Cheers. See ya. Paul Carter Rodden, an interesting guy. Nice, funny guy. Good to, uh, good to talk to. He'll be a pleasure to get into the studio, yeah. no doubt. But it will be a tight fit big unit for anyone mm. that doesn't know him google him paul carter mean uh, looking mean mean looking, looking dude paul carter lift run bang check him out and a few f-bombs there too so you know, that's all right spade a spade i'm comfortable with that yep and uh, now the ultimate powerlifting tour that we've mentioned in 2015 it starts in perth sunday and monday april 12 and april 13 yep and then they fly across to sydney and they have friday saturday 
April 17, April 18. So yeah. Perth starting Sunday, April 12, and then Sydney starting Friday, April 17. He also mentioned John Meadows, the yeah. Mountain Dog. He and Paul are coming out via Clean Health Education next year to do a more of a bodybuilding style yeah, muscle camp. Muscle camp. Um, and there are details for that on the Clean Health website, cleanhealth.com.au. Go to education. Yeah. And there's a link to the, all the seminars and various things that are in a jam-packed, jam-packed schedule 2015. for 2015. Yes. And that has been the show, Rawdon. What a uh, program. It's been enjoyable. Uh, Paul Carter was great to have on the line. He's a funny guy. Enjoyed talking to him. Awesome badass dude. Strong mofo too. And just to recap your wonderful article, which will appear (laughs) on the Strength Sensei website at some stage, the three factors that we discussed today is genetics. Genetics, Uh, Number one, if you want to be a pro bodybuilder, then, uh, well... Yeah, you need the right genetics, or otherwise... um, yeah, forget about getting a pro card. But for the general population, have a think about your genetics and let that play a role in dictating what you do uh, with your nutrition and your training. Yeah, a bit of a few pointers there for ecto, meso, and endo. Some guidelines there to maximise your potential. Of course, none of it's really worth uh, doing at all if you don't have the required amount of focus and discipline to actually yeah. get the results in the gym. If you're struggling for that, you know, like you, some goal setting or some 100%. structured phases of training to get you to a particular from A to B, yeah. is the way to go. Yeah, definitely. The the take home message there is set clear, realistic goals and um, little bite sized chunks along the way, but that that significant end goal I think is a really great idea. As your genetic profile will dictate what happens to you with your training, I guess uh, your neurotransmitter type or your personality type is another factor uh, that you can take into account when um, thinking about what you do with your training. So it could be an idea to hop online, do the Braveman assessment, just uh, out of interest as much as anything else. Yeah, it's really fun. And uh, see where you fall on the scale. Yep, and then according to that, you can uh, influence your programming choices from there and and see if it really works for you. But uh, I've noticed a, a strong correlation with the uh, personality types and the and the five elements. So interesting stuff. And of course, Rawdon, as we like to say each week on the program, everything we talk about is yes. stuff that we, you and I just have experience with or at Clean Health we use and right. the guest on the show. We don't always have the white lab coat on. It's no. not an exact science. It's not the only way to do things. There's many ways to do things. Yes. And there's our little disclaimer. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast. Uh, email us if you'd like to, podcast at cleanhealth.com.au. I think I've just said podcast about five times in uh, 15 seconds, which is probably a record <laughs> It's a new record, me. a new PR. You just said a PR, Tom. Podcast, well done. Podcast, podcast, podcast. Trent Semferhende. Trent Semferhende.